Welcome to the weekend edition of the Nightly Nudes. Ted, as we do all the time when we have a special guest, I think it's uh, important for you to introduce them. Tell us who we have and what we're going to talk about today. Well, first of all, we in the uh, conservation community, we cherish our outdoor lifestyle. It is literally the pulse that keeps us life, liberty, and pursuit of gonzo happiness. God, family, country, constitution, bill of rights, Ten Commandments, golden rule, law and order, and deer hunting. It's right there. There is a passion across this country, which is why wildlife is thriving today, because we not only put our heart and soul into the simple science of sustained yield harvest management, habitat caring capacity, population dynamics, winter severity index, all this stuff that even the guitar player knows. But we're welcoming Stephen Ditchkoff. And I want to welcome Stephen to the show because, Stephen, we we salute you. We thank you. And uh, we know that you have dedicated yourself to wildlife management as a biologist. But the most important thing about you, Stephen Ditchkoff, is that you come from Redford, Michigan, Detroit, 19, Michigan. <laughs> Tell me about your upbringing in Redford, along with Ted Nugent, along the Rouge River. Tell me that's where you come from. Well, I actually grew up in Livonia. So well, just, that's, just that's right a suburb across the line. Okay, we're on the Rouge River. Miles. You know, I you know grew up you know just like you grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Um, was fortunate enough to have a you know and you know when you've got houses side by side. I was fortunate enough to have a probably about a thirty acre field right behind my house. So you know, three years old chasing butterflies, five year old out there with a slingshot, and um, just grew up in an outdoors family. Uh, my grandparents had a lake there just south of Jackson, so I spent my summers there fishing, and it was just a passion that was built by my family, and I was fortunate to be able to do what I love for a living. So, And how old are you, Stephen? Um, 52. So that means you're going to start off today by respecting your elders and uh, yes. let you know that, that wonderful field that, that cleansed your soul and really the outdoor lifestyle participating hands-on as a conscientious conservationists with the wise use of these precious renewable resources. The condition of wildlife is literally the canary in the coal mine of the environment. So I was grown, I grew up on the Rouge River where it was loaded with pheasants and quail. Stephen, when you were in Livonia, were there a lot of quail? Because we had quail up and down the Rouge River. You know, I don't remember seeing quail, but I remember seeing pheasants everywhere. You know, we would just, you know, just just south of, of our house there in Westland, you know, you, you, you'd see pheasants all up and down the roads. You know, I hear my father talking about it, you know, who's, you know, in, in his 70s about, you know, sneaking past the police station with it with a shotgun and <laughs> and that sort of thing out there, you know, shooting. Kevin well, pheasant was king in, in Michigan growing up. Pheasant was king. There wasn't that big a deal about deer. You had to go up north, way up north and go across the straits to the UP to really get quality deer hunting. But the reason you're on here today, Stephen, is because I am convinced as and I represent a lot of really good people. I have a brunch every day with what I call the Ted Nugent shit kicker, truth, logic and common sense. And they're all hunters, ranchers, farmers, landowners, teachers, cops, hardware store operators, energy barons, people from every imaginable walk of life. And we are witnessing the virtual distrust of bureaucracies out there. And I'm afraid and the reason we have you on here is because when a when a Department of Natural Resources in Michigan finally admits that there's so many sandhill cranes in Michigan, the ribeye in the sky, a migratory, a federal migratory game bird, when there are so many sandhill cranes, we finally put enough pressure on them to realize that instead of forcing it irresponsibly, I think immorally, into the liability column, 
destroying tens of millions of dollars with agriculture. And as a Michiganiac, you and I can appreciate this. So we finally pressured these bureaucrats. I, I would hope they were hunters and fishermen and trappers, but they're not. And so they said, OK, you can shoot them, but you can't consume them. Now, let me put the exclamation point on that. If a bureaucrat tells me I'm allowed, first of all, he's not in charge. God is in charge. Science is in charge. And we, the people, are supposed to be in charge. But when a bureaucrat tells me you can shoot a ribeye in the sky and then by law you are mandated to let it rot in the field, I cannot obey that bureaucrat. And when they tell me in Michigan that this is a songbird, I cannot obey immoral, lying, power-abusing bureaucrats. And you've studied chronic waste and disease, which is the same thing as Scrapies and Crutchfield Jacobs and Human, Mad Cow. As a guitar player, I know this stuff. I study it intensely because I really care. And you're here because you really care. But please help us with the juxtaposition of bureaucrats glaringly dictating immorality, Dr. Fauci, DNR, NRC, Texas Parks and Wildlife. Why should I believe a word out of their mouths that chronic waste and disease is dangerous and something that will allow them to slaughter private deer herds? Why should I obey those guys, Stephen? Well, you threw a lot out there. Um, There's a lot. I've been gone, and, I, and I've been gone from Michigan for quite some time, so I'm probably not qualified to comment on the dove situation. Or You're the- qualified to comment on the dove situation. <laughs> you know it's a game bird. You know it's a migratory game bird. You are allowed. I've given you the authorization to discard the shackles of bureaucracy and admit that the morning dove is the number one game bird on planet Earth. Will you admit that? You know, it, the game, the, the morning dove is the number one harvested game bird in North America for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. Hallelujah. The case is closed. Drive safely. I'm going hunting. <laughs> All right. Continue. I, I will you now, know, you know, you, you know, continue. Oklahoma, you know, when I was working, you know, I was working on my PhD in Oklahoma, you know, we, we'd wait for opening day. You know, it was, it's a fantastic hunt, you know, here in Alabama, you know, it's, there's a lot of people out there really excited for dove season and it's a Across wonderful opportunity for, for kids to get them involved in hunting. Um, I'm really not involved in the politics of it, haven't examined it to understand why the decisions are being made that they are. But we are har- harvesting, you know, these cranes down in some of the southern states. And we're for sure harvesting a lot of doves. Um, it wasn't that long ago you weren't shooting turkeys in Michigan. You're, you're harvesting turkeys now. You know, I hope that's something that can change for Michigan sportsmen and sportswomen. You know what, Stephen, I, I'm, our listeners, some of them may not be uh, up to date on some of the acronyms that Ted threw out there. First of all, tell our listeners, what is CWD? And there's a lot in the press about that right now that's trying to just governments come in and shoot deer herds and prevent deer hunting, prevent deer baiting. So would you just tell us what CWD is and what's really the truth behind all the the, the nonsense? Well, CWD is an acronym for chronic wasting disease. Um, It's a it's what we call it's it's a disease that's spread by prions it's not a bacteria it's not a virus uh, prion is an infectious agent that's totally different and has totally impacts on the on the body totally different impacts a mutated what it does is it, 
it, what it, what it does is it it causes some some misfolding of proteins in the brain, and as a result, you've got some degenerative issues with the body. Um, as as Ted mentioned, it's related to scrapie in sheep, Crutchfeld Jakob and and Kuru in humans, mink spongiform encephalopathy, mad cow disease. These are all in the same family of of diseases. Um, chronic wasting disease was first kind of identified here in North America in the '60s and was a Western disease in mule deer and elk, that sort of thing. But kind of around the around the year 2000, you know, it was identified in Wisconsin. And since that time, it's continued to pop up in states around the around in the eastern U.S. And as a result, um, it, it's in the news a lot lately because it's, pop, it's they're finding it in more and more locations. The jury's out on where it came from. There's a lot of different theories out there that you know, are popular in different magazines, newspapers, you know, whatever it is, you know, but where it came from is kind of irrelevant at this point. It's more that it's here. And the question becomes is how you manage for it. Um, it's, a, it's a disease that is always fatal. Um, we are beginning to document some declines in deer herds where we found that it's been around for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, we do know that individuals that have chronic wasting disease, individual deer, um, are more susceptible to deer vehicle collisions, they're more susceptible to predation. And so that makes sense that we begin to see declines in these deer herds over time. Um, to my knowledge, there has never been a documented case of chronic wasting disease jumping to humans, yet the CDC does warn against if a deer tests positive for chronic wasting disease, they suggest that you don't eat it and that you dispose of the meat appropriately. Um, just about every state is, is enacting regulations to try and reduce the potential for CWD coming to those states, or if it's already in those states, to try and maintain it in the areas where it is. Um, I think there's a lot we don't understand about what's going to happen in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I do believe that these state agencies are doing the best they can. They're trying to make the right decisions with the best knowledge available. Obviously, let me, let me stop you there, Stephen. What? Well, because Ted mentioned this earlier about distrust of bureaucrats, what makes you think that they're trying to do the right thing? Like, for example, in Colorado, 11 of the 12 people on their um, fishing game are anti-hunters. And so when someone tells me that the fishing game in Colorado is trying to do the right thing, the question is the right thing for what or for whom? Well, you know, when we take a look at, for example, the Michigan DNR, you know, a lot, lot of those men and women were in the same classes that I was in, you know, went through the same program there at Michigan State. Um, here where they, in Alabama, they came through our program here at Auburn. Um, I believe the biologists are trying to make the right decisions. I cannot speak for advisory boards, advisory councils, that sort of thing that are governor appointed. Um, but I do believe they're trying to make the right decisions at the end of the day and do the right things. Um, I know these people I went to school. What is the right? What, what, what do you think the right? What do you think the right thing is with regard to CWD? I think the, I, th I think there's several answers to that question. I think number one is if you're a state that does that has not been detected, I think you want to try and keep it out. Um, and there's a number of ways that they've suggested you do that. It's an inconvenience to hunters, but one of those ways is they say we don't want you bringing whole carcass back into the state. We just want you bringing the meat. Um, which they're trying to do some things to, to potentially reduce the probability of it coming in. The right thing, number two, is to monitor. You know, can we monitor and, and, and detect it if it comes in early? We think New York detected it early a number of years ago. New York has never detected another case. Whether or not they still have it, you know, is unknown, but it seems like they did it right. Um, we're all looking at Wisconsin. You know, we've learned a lot watching Wisconsin, Colorado, Wyoming, and these states that have had it for decades. They've did some things right. They did some things wrong. And we're learning from that. 
you know, we're trying to see what seems to work, what's not working. Um, and so it's impossible to say what's right. My hope is that as we, uh, as we study it, we examine it, we develop new technologies that are going to enhance our ability to, to manage for it. You know, it's like cancer. Cancer 40 years ago was a death sentence. Today, we have some tools that work. Tomorrow, we're going to have better tools. I hope that's, the, that's it with, with chronic wasting disease as well. What about I'd like to interject a couple observations. And again, this the reason this is coming up, Stephen, and we appreciate your knowledge. We appreciate your dedication. You're studying the science. You say that it's always fatal. There is no proof that it's always fatal because there are probably a bunch of deer out there that have it. And the disease didn't kill it. A car probably killed it. A hunter killed it. A coyote killed the fawn, maybe. So we don't know if those deer would have died from CWD. So the science is so inconclusive. And let me interject another one from a lifetime. I've never missed a deer season in 74 years. And I know Chad Stewart, the deer specialist at the DNR in Michigan. I used to respect the DNR. I've lost all respect. They say that baiting causes nose to nose contact. You've got to be kidding me. Anybody that knows anything about deer doesn't need Ted Nugent to sprinkle corn on the ground for deer to have nose to nose contact. That's all they do. And I've watched it thousands of days where a cob of corn on a stalk, a doe will start chewing on it. And every deer that goes by chews on that corn on the cob and they'll go to the same natural mineral lick. And people are getting fined across the country for putting a mineral block on their own farm. This is so anti-American. It spits in the face of any claimed or presumed science. So the baiting ban, and, and if baiting could be a problem, then why do 21 states allow it? Do those biologists not care? Are they ignorant? Or is it a lie? I propose to you, my friend, Stephen, it's a lie. What, what are you what, done? We used to have 800,000 deer hunters in Michigan. And the number one cause of attrition is an older age or, or, or access to hunting ground. That hasn't changed, even though there's some indicators of leasing control and private property is a little bit more controlled over the years. But the number one cause of attrition in deer hunting in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, across the nation, because I hear from them every day, you don't. They are sick and tired of getting a fine for not having their bow in a case. They are sick and tired of getting a fine because they sprinkled corn in front of their son's blind so that the son could be inspired and motivated to keep deer hunting. That's not a Ted Nugent hunch. That's not a presumption. That's what I hear nonstop everywhere. Stephen Ditchkoff is a dedicated biologist and a white-tailed deer specialist Give it your best shot that deer baiting somehow increases or causes deer to have nose to nose content contact. Can you make a case for that? Do, do deer exchange saliva at, 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 on some bait piles? Probably. The degree but they already which, did on the way to the bait pile. They did after the it's, bait pile. It's a really They've done it whole life. It's a really good point. You know, and the, and the question is, and I've never really kind of read any data on this. How much does it increase the probability of spread? I think that that's the question. You know, I mean, anytime you've got nose to nose contact, you've got potential for transmission. 
you know, if, if, it, if we double the chances of it spreading by putting out bait piles, then maybe a restriction on bait piles is a good thing. If it's only a 0.1% increase in probability of transmission, then, bait, then, then restricting bait piles is probably not a good thing because we're reducing hunters, we're making it more difficult. Because I think you bring up a good point. The more complex we make the seasons, the more regulations, the more difficult we make it on hunters to get out there and just enjoy what they're doing, we are seeing an attrition in hunters due to that reason. And so I think I think it's a great point that we need to examine these rules and regulations and better understand, is it helping or is it is it not helping? That's what I um, dedicate my life to. Stephen, where, where do you reside these days? I'm in Auburn, Alabama, professor at Auburn, Auburn University. That's a great place to be. They finally allowed deer. They, they, Alabama, the epicenter of turkey hunting, just in the last couple of years, legalized decoys. <laughs> what? Why would a turkey decoy be illegal? So here's my point. I am the shit kicker czar, if I may brag for a moment, because I have been humbled, honored, and blessed beyond description as a guy who loves deer love deer hunting. You must understand that since I came out forcefully in the 1960s, counterpunching my music industry, animal rights, scam punks, that all of a sudden the hunters around the world would hear a rock and roll interview and go, yeah, Ted, tell them. So they've always bombarded me with their concerns, their, their avidity. Avidity is extreme enthusiasm. Avidity is eagerness. And you know that the hunting lifestyle, particularly deer hunting, is the tip of the family hours of recreation, resource-inspired revenue generation, which is the unique and wonderful celebrated wildlife management model in America, which is why there's more cougars, more bear, more turkey, more geese, more deer, more elk, I think, than ever in recorded history. Colorado needs to increase the cow season. The point is, as I'm bombarded, I don't have to study data. I study people who really are dedicated to deer hunting. And I would like to offer to you, my friend, because I know you're dedicated, but I would like to continue and cultivate a communication with you. Because I think a guy in the campfire of the deer hunting world and a guy who I, I salute you, you were equally dedicated in the scientific campfire of the of the servant world. I think most bureaucrats, they have their meetings, but there's no shit kickers. There's no dedicated deer hunters. <laughs> but you can hear in my voice how concerned my fellow sporters are. Well, I think you bring up a great, great point is you've got to look at biology and data, but you have to also remember who the customer is. Boots and on the ground. We need to listen to the customers. And, and, it, and it's that's a very, very important part of resource management that we're probably not doing a good enough job at everywhere because like I listen to Chad, is important. Chad Stewart and I, Chad Stewart is the deer specialist, uh, everybody, of the Michigan DNR, and he's a dedicated guy. But I hunted for 40 years with Fred Bear. When it comes to making a deer decision, I know Chad's dedicated and he's reasonably knowledgeable. But the longer you're a bureaucrat, the more distance there is between you and the American family deer camp. I know he has American family deer camp. So do you. But when I, when I, want an answer about deer hunting i'll go to fred bear and i i just milk that man i mind his wisdom and his experience because experience produces more meaningful wisdom 
than all the books in the world. Don't you think there's a a combination? I I agree with you, Ted, but we're going to have to leave it right there because we've gone way over our time today. Very good points on both sides. Um, Maybe we can get the doctor to come back and join us on another weekend edition of the Nightly News. Ted, great week we had. Stephen, thanks for joining us. And if you all come back again, we'll have some more of the nightly news right here where there's no fake news. Stephen, do you feel the love? Hey, I enjoyed it. Hope to talk to you guys again soon. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. Godspeed. Godspeed.